The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your Tuesday Top 5 at 5 futures. They're on the rise after big tech's biggest turnaround in years. In D.C., Jay Powell and his inflation track record in the hot seat once again as the Senate reconsiders his renomination. As Fed chair, former St. Louis Fed President Bill Poole is here to weigh in. At the Fed, another one biting the dust as the central bank's number two resigning amid some suspect stock trades. So why are members of Congress still allowed to trade stocks? Apple looking to beef up its content offering, reportedly going after professional sports to do just that. And call it the Apeversary. A closer look at how small-time traders flip the script on some big-time investing. It's all happening on this Tuesday, January 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. And before we jump into the markets and some big business headlines, why don't we give a big shout-out to the dogs, the Georgia Bulldogs, getting that monkey off their back Beating Alabama 33-18 to to win the university's first national college football title since 1980. Bulldog quarterback Stetson Bennett throwing for 224 yards and two TDs in the win. We will give you more highlights of that game coming up. And no doubt, many of them are still partying in Indianapolis and Athens, Georgia. Congratulations, UGA. All right, now to the game of stocks, if you will, and break out the drama meet. Because it has been a wild start to the year for many stock investors. The NASDAQ 100 did something incredible and incredibly rare yesterday. It did nearly a 3% U-turn. At one point, the NASDAQ 100 was down. It was crushed off 2.7%. But buyers came in strong late in the day, and that index actually ended higher. Pfizer CEO saying an Omicron-specific vaccine will be done by March. Maybe that's helping sentiment. Who knows? Either way, interest rates, they have been a major catalyst, maybe on both sides. A 10-year yield briefly back above 1.75% and up 16% in just the first six trading days of this year. Why does that matter? Well, let's take a look at the 10-year compared to the likes of, say, Tesla and Adobe in the past 24 hours. The massive comeback for those two stocks late yesterday as the 10-year came off session highs. If you've got options, derivatives, things that are tied to tech, maybe tied to rates, any small move in rates could have an outsized, a butterfly effect, if you will, in technology. All right, what's happening right now? Futures, they're higher across the board. Yesterday, some very key technical levels holding on that downside they may have held, helped us pop back up, maybe a good sign. We are seeing futures higher across the board. Looks like it could be a nice pop back Some of that buying momentum coming back for the NASDAQ. Well, even with their little comeback, cryptos, eh, they're still having a very tough start to the year. Bitcoin down big. It is down 40% from 
from its highs of last fall. All this as new data from CoinShares show that crypto investment products and funds had net outflows last week, totaling a record $207 million. Small numbers overall, but still their highest ever. Last week, the market was a four straight week with outflows out of some of the crypto funds. Either it's tax selling, nervousness, combination of the two. We'll find out. Cryptos having a bit of a tough run. All right. That's here. Let's find out what's going on in the early action overseas. Juliana Tattlebaum is, as always, in our London newsroom. Juliana, good morning. Brian, good morning. So European equities this morning bouncing back, staging quite a recovery. Yesterday, European markets closed up shop before that tremendous reversal that you just outlined, Brian. So yesterday, the stock 600 ended about one and a half percent lower. This morning, we are on the mend. The CAC 40 up about one and a half percent over in France. The German market not far behind, up about 1.3 percent. And it is green across the board. Uh, From a sector perspective, this is what the mix looks like this morning. Yesterday, the loss were led by the technology sector. And here this morning, the technology sector is leading the gains up about 2.7%. So very strong moves in tech stocks. Retail also seeing a strong bid this morning, up about 2% alongside travel and leisure and construction. On the downside, we've got autos hovering around the flat line, but every single sector is trading in positive territory here this morning. So it seems as though we are catching up a little bit with what's happened on Wall Street, but overall following the sentiment. Brian? Yeah, a lot of green on that screen again as well, like our futures. Juliana, quite the turnaround as well. Juliana, thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, so here in the States, maybe some uplifting words helping as well. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon saying the American economy is headed for the best growth in decades. Speaking with us on Monday, Dimon says that's largely because consumers' balance sheets are in good shape. Adding growth will come even as the Fed possibly raises rates several times this year. It's going to be a little bit like threading a needle. So you can't look at anything and say, that's my projection, because you really don't know. Is it possible that inflation is worse than they think, that the raise rates more than people think? I'd personally be surprised if it's just four increases next year. I, you know, I, I think that four increases 25 basis points is a very, very little amount and very easy for the economy to absorb. Now, Diamond does warn, however, of some stock market turbulence, kind of like what we saw yesterday as the Fed gets to work. Let's talk about more about all of this with John Stolfus, chief investment officer at Oppenheimer. He remains bullish and has one of, if not the, I believe, and he can correct us if we're wrong, highest S&P 500 target on the street. John, you are nodding. Is that right? That's right, Brian. And good morning to you. Well, good morning, and thanks for getting up early. We needed your insight after yesterday's crazy day. You remain long and strong. What do you make of the early action so far this year, and what's your take on what is still a long way to go in 2022? Well, we'd have to say, Brian, uh, that when we, we look at the, at the landscape, uh, what we just saw happen over the course of the last few days, last week and, and into yesterday, was very much uh, uh, standard for this kind of an environment where you've got the Fed uh, getting ready to really, uh, in earnest, address the inflation issues. It's a pivotal uh, move that uh, the Fed chair has been making and really since the, uh, the end of the fourth quarter of last year in terms of the message. Uh, and naturally, you get volatility. But I, I think, you know, I think Jamie Dimon just, just said it uh, in that uh, sequence you had just before I came on. Yeah, the economy is doing well. And we look at the fundamentals 
and the fundamentals are highly supportive for equities right now. Uh, in our, uh, our case, we, we look for interest rates to rise, but relatively modestly, as the Fed remains very sensitive to economic growth and employment uh, and considers the, uh, the role of business in digesting higher rates. Uh, so we think the environment remains good for equities. Okay, I, I, and I hear you. And in '94, I think we had the equivalent of ten rate hikes. They raised rates two and a half percent, and the market surged in '95. So stocks can historically show they can go up in a major raising uh, rate environment. However, John, I do worry. We've never had a Fed balance sheet like this, eight plus trillion dollars. Many people I read and talk to say they're more worried about the negative effects of the reduction of the Fed balance sheet than they are about raising rates. I can understand that concern, Brian, but when, when I look at it, uh, I can't help but think, what if they hadn't taken on all that onto their balance sheet? Where would we be today? Would we be at a good enough level to move and, and cross the next platform, essentially, uh, or the next traverse uh, to get to uh, the next new normal? And I think as a result of that, we have to accept what was done and consider what if they hadn't? And from that perspective, Parallel to what happened in in uh, in the the financial crisis coming out of that uh, move ahead, uh, we can't help but think when you mentioned ninety four just happened this morning. I looked at it. The S and P five hundred ninety four was down one point five four percent. Tech was up nineteen percent. Consumer staples six point eight. Materials three point three two. Real estate flat. Energy was down four-tenths of a percent. I'm not going to go through everything, but the worst performers were consumer discretionary down 9.88 and the Utes down 17 percent. So the funny thing is tech, which got hit hardest yesterday, happened to be, and it's, it, when we look at it and others have looked at it as well, it's the most resilient because it's deeply wow. embedded more so than ever before in the lives of business and individuals. I don't know if I'm more impressed by the data or the fact that you were up early enough even before this to do that kind of work when the show starts at 5 a.m. I don't even want to know. John, you're a better man than I am. So does that mean that this year, based on your projections, we should still selectively own tech and still maybe, like 94, sell things that are rate sensitive like utilities? Yeah, I, th- I would think so. I, would, I wouldn't sell all my exposure to the Utes because I, I want some incoming in. Uh, in terms of income, and I also want to have a, a diversification. But in terms of technology, and in this case, consumer discretionary, because people are hungry to get back to a more normal spending environment, and we can see that with just the increase in debt that the consumer took on over the last last month or so. Uh, so we've got to say we want to be we want to own consumer discretionary technology, industrials, financials. Uh, as our favorites, and then continue with materials yeah. and energy exposure as inflation remains an issue. And, you know, that's going it's, it's, to continue for a while. But we're positive on equities. John, John Stolfos, we need your steady words after a crazy start to the year. Oppenheimer Asset Management, John, really appreciate you getting up early. Thank you, as always, my friend. Have a great day. Thanks, appreciate buddy. it. All right, you're very welcome. All right, on deck, a closer look at global COVID vaccine inequality and what is being done to fix that. Plus, a third Fed official forced to step down after some suspect stock trades. So why are members of Congress still allowed to trade stocks? And later on, a key C-suite exit? 
at Tesla. We've got a lot more to do, but futures, they're soaring. NASDAQ futures up more than 100 points. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. And why don't we get now a quick update on the booming number of COVID cases in America. This week alone, U.S. COVID-19 hospitalizations are hitting levels not seen in a year, although keep in mind it is possible that as many as 40 to even 60 percent of those are not in the hospital alone just for COVID. This is the debate that we've really been leading on last couple of months that more people are now picking up on. Still, In the last week, hospitalization numbers, for whatever reason, they have surged in some cases passing the peaks of last year. In New Jersey, we are now 50% higher in hospitalizations than the peak of last winter, although this year everything remains mostly open. Nationally, ICU capacity is at 76% of its January 2021 peak, perhaps a better indicator. All right, it is not just here. Troubling situation in China as well as that country looks to contain its latest outbreak. As of this morning, some 20 million people in China are in lockdown with a third city, Anyang, about five hours south of Beijing, being the latest to go into quarantine. And if you think our lockdowns are tough in China, when you are ordered to lock down, you are not allowed to leave your home except to go to stores to buy the most essential items. You cannot drive. You can barely be outside for any reason. Well, meantime, as COVID continues to spread across the globe, experts are saying that the Omicron variant is a sign that global vaccine inequality could prolong the pandemic for everybody. The WHO has set a target for all countries to have vaccinated 70% of their population by July of this year, a big challenge. But according to our world and data, many countries, particularly those in the African continent, are not on track to meet that goal. Some not even close. Vaccine distribution has been held up by logistical issues or money problems. Well, now a group of investors is calling for pharma CEO salaries to be tied to global vaccine distribution in order to speed up that process. Joining us now to talk about all of this is Silvana Sinha, founder and CEO of Prava Health. They are based in Bangladesh. Uh, Silvana, this is an important issue. You know, we're talking about fourth shots for some people here in the United States. Israel already doing it. Maybe, you know, in three months, we'll talk about fifth shots. Meantime, there are billions of people 
who have not gotten their first shot. How do we fix that? It's a big question. Thank you so much for, for having me. You know, I think vaccine inequity is important for so many reasons. I think what we've learned is that when none of us is healthy, unless all of us is healthy, you know, uh, Dr. Tedros, the head of the WHO, is famously saying no one is safe until all of us are safe. And as a healthcare founder in Bangladesh, which is the eighth most populous country in the world, I've seen firsthand how underinvestment in healthcare infrastructure um, has been the trend across emerging markets prior to the pandemic. And I think vaccine inequity is just one example of that. In terms of how we address it, you know, um, I, I think you, you've, you've really set up the context very well. You know, the goal of 70% of populations being vaccinated by the middle of this year is very unlikely to be met. I think that uh, at the current rate, more than 100 countries will fail to meet that deadline. This obviously matters for humanitarian reasons. I think um, that's the most obvious reason that we all can point to. It's, it's not fair that citizens of, 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 of less yeah. wealthy countries are not getting access to vaccines. But I think we need to look at it from a more economic lens. And you know, the fact is that it's simply cheaper for us as a global community to invest in delivering the vaccine than not. Um, there's substantial Absolutely. macroeconomic consequences of failing to vaccinate the entire because, world. Yeah, it is. And, and what we have learned, Silvana, if nothing else, is that an airborne virus doesn't care about borders. They don't care about you're in that state, you're in this country. We don't care. Some of these variants will originate wherever they can in generally a lower vaccinated population. They will mutate. Somebody will have it. They will get on a plane. They will land at JFK and there will be an outbreak or, by the way, the reverse. It'll start here and go the other way. Point is to knock this out globally. We must have a global approach. Absolutely agreed. And I think, I mean, your point is an excellent one in terms of the fact that lower vaccinated populations are more likely to develop variants. But it's also true that um, simply the fact of having lower vaccination rates across emerging markets has economic consequences for developed economies. There's a study out of University of Maryland, actually, that estimates that 3% of GDP of pre-pandemic advanced economies um, is the potential cost of not vaccinating. And, and that's not just because of variants. It's because of a reduction in export markets. It's, it's because of supply chain issues that we face all over the world. And so advanced economies have a direct economic interest in achieving vaccine equity. Yep. Yeah, and they're working on that, maybe tying some compensation to those goals to make sure the rest of the world can do it. Silvana Sinha, probably appreciate you getting up early. It's an important topic. Thank you very much, Silvana. And by Thanks the way, folks, me. before you go to the tease, you talk about, you, thank you, you talk about COVID traveling. I posted this on Twitter. The number four, four top hospitalization rates in the United States right now are Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, and New York, literally the I-95 corridor, and you watch some of these patterns, and travel and human movement makes a big difference in also in some of these rates. All right, on deck. Out of gas, why shares of EV maker Rivian are already having a year to forget. That stock is down again this morning. We'll tell you why. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera with your news headlines. North Korea is starting the new year by exercising its military muscle. The isolated regime appears to have launched its second missile test in less than a week. That's according to officials in South Korea and Japan. After five days of school cancellations, the Chicago Teachers Union voted to return to in-person classes tomorrow. Teachers are set to return today for planning. The union also approved a plan with conditions on when an individual school would return to remote learning. It includes the number of staff absences and students in quarantine or isolation, as well as the level of community spread. The State Department and the CDC are advising against travel to Canada because of the Omicron-fueled explosion of COVID cases. The U.S. lifted restrictions at its borders with Canada and Mexico in November. For the second time in five years, Georgia and Alabama battled it out for college football's national title. The low-scoring struggle was blown wide open in the second half. Bulldog fans are giving a hat tip to quarterback Stetson Bennett. He tossed two clutch touchdowns that surfed past the Crimson Tide defense. Georgia only lost one game all season, and that was to Alabama last month. They avenged the loss and win the national championship in style, 33-18. to 18. It's the first time in 41 years that college football's national title heads to Athens, Georgia. The Southeastern Conference School has now won five of the eight college football playoff championships. And for Tuesday morning, Brian, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And by the way, big congrats and shout out to all the dogs out there. But now it's time for somebody else. Maybe next year we can get a non-SEC school. All right, thank you. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Well, today it's like four and a half, but you'll get it. Anyway, stock number one is Rivian. Shares continue to take a hit. This after Rivian said its chief operating officer had left the company. Odd timing. It also said it produced just over 1,000 electric trucks by the end of last year, and that is a disappointing number. By the way, Rivian shares are down 100 bucks per share from their intraday high of November 16th. They were at 179 They're at 79 now. Wow. All right, stock number two, Intel. They poached David Zinser from Microsoft to be their next CFO. Who is David Zinser? Well, the Zinser has been Micron's CFO since 2018. That's helping Intel. Stock number three, Apple. And maybe it's better off because the New York Post reports that Apple has had, quote, substantial talks to carry Major League Baseball games next year. Apple has long been looked at as a landing spot for sports TV. Post says that baseball has been trying to sell their Monday and Wednesday national games that ESPN recently gave up. Apple would be expected to make games available through its Apple TV Plus streaming service. And a bonus fourth stock or stocks just for you because we like you so much. Big Lots and Abercrombie and Fifth. Now, Fitch, both retailers issued rather disappointing forecasts, citing all kinds of stuff. But Abercrombie did say it had a pickup 
in post-holiday sales. And that's enough to send Abercrombie up 5% and Big Lots down 7% in the pre-market, going in opposite directions. All right ahead, forget Planet of the Apes. This is the anniversary of the apes. And we're going to mark one year since the meme trade that turned Wall Street on its head began. We'll be right back. The midday Monday melt-up looking to roll on right now. Futures surging as buyers ignoring the Fed and rising rates and came back in a big way. At the Fed, Jay Powell heading to the Hill to pitch another round of himself as head of the Fed. Former Fed exec Bill Poole is here on why the central bank may already be behind the curve. And the Fed's number two, out, resigning under pressure as stock trades that he made came to light. So why is Congress still allowed to trade stocks? It is Tuesday, January 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right now to the markets and your money because stock futures, they are on fuego. They are higher right now. In fact, up triple digits, not just on the Dow, but on the NASDAQ futures as well, or they just were. They're right there, by the way. All this, though, maybe some momentum carried over after that incredible and incredibly rare turnaround for stocks. In particular, the NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100 yesterday at one point, the NASDAQ 100 was down nearly 3%. Midday, did a U-turn, actually ended the day mildly higher. But that turn was the biggest single-day comeback since February 28th of 2020. So nearly a two-year record in terms of that turnaround. Now, during the lows yesterday, the NASDAQ was at risk of closing in what they call correction territory. I hate that term, but some people use it. For the first time since March 8th, meaning down 10% from its intraday highs. But the buyers came in, some technical levels got held, and the market ended up higher as well, really bouncing off some of those technical levels. Check out the QQQ. That is the ETF that, of course, represents the NASDAQ 100. It had 90.5 million shares traded yesterday. That is 70% higher then it's 20-day moving average and the heaviest volume since early December. In other words, there were a lot of buyers, there was a lot of sellers, and there was just a lot of action in the market on Monday. Interest rates, of course, in play, causing a lot of this action. A 10-year yield briefly topping above 1.75%. Not there now, but it was. A 10-year yield, by the way, up 18% in just six days this year. So if you're a home buyer or looking to refi or borrow money, your borrowing costs are more than likely going to rise maybe considerably in the next couple of weeks as the market catches up to what bonds are doing. Let's also check on oil because oil was down a little bit at one point on Monday, but still up near 80 and oil up nearly 8 or 10%, by the way, in a month. And even with this miracle Monday midday melt up, as we will call it, it's been a rough ride lately overall for many popular assets. Look at these moves off their respective recent highs. Kathy Wood's ARK ETF down 46% from its highs of last year. Bitcoin down 39%. Small cap stocks hit hard, down 12% from their peak. And even the NASDAQ, with the nice run that we had yesterday afternoon, doesn't matter. NASDAQ still down just about 8% from their highs. So it's been a rough ride off the highs of last fall. All right, now let's get some of this morning's top stories, including 
an earlier-than-anticipated exit by the Fed's second-in-command as he made some trades of some rather interesting timing. Frank Collin joining us now with more on that and your key headlines. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning, Brian. Great to see you as always. Richard Clarida announcing yesterday that he will be exiting his position as the Fed Reserve's vice chairman this Friday. Clarida's term had been set to expire at the end of this month. The change comes just days after additional disclosures around trades he made in February of 2020. Those moves coming around the time the Fed was preparing to roll out its efforts to help combat the economic impact of the pandemic. Clarida had previously described those trades as pre-planned portfolio rebalancing. Facebook's parent company, Meta, is delaying its return to U.S. offices for employees. The company had previously planned to fully reopen offices for vaccinated employees at the end of this month. That date will now slide to March 28th. Meta says it will also require proof that employees have received a booster shot for their return. And Tesla's head of human resources and one of the company's highest ranking black leaders has now stepped down. According to Bloomberg, Valerie Capers Workman has left the EV maker for a new job. Workman has been a prominent voice for the company on race-related issues, including being a key defender of Tesla as it faced multiple controversies involving accusations of racism in recent years. Tesla stock up a percent right now. Brian, back over to you. Big loss for Tesla right now. Big gain for somebody else. Frank Collin, thank you very much. All right, let's get back down to this morning's top story. And Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell preparing for a day of testimony on Capitol Hill as the Senate Banking Committee considers his renomination to the seat he has held since February of 2018, during which time the S&P 500 has gained more than 65%. The yield on the 10-year note has fallen 35% from 2.7% down to where it is now. The average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage has come down from 4.5% to just over 3%. And core consumer product inflation, the CPI, has shot up from 2.14%, More than 3.3% inflation running hot. Let's get more perspective on all this and more. We're pleased to be joined by former St. Louis Fed President Bill Poole. Bill, it's really great to have you on. I know it's very early, but we certainly appreciate your insight. Uh, Thank you very much, Bill. Good to chat with you again. In your mind, should Chair Powell get the renomination and run the Fed for another term? Ryan, uh, thanks for having me uh, on board this morning. Yes, I think it would be a big mistake for his nomination to get tangled up in any sort of controversy. I believe we have some very tough times ahead of us, and I'm going to be critical of the Fed's behavior over the past years more, actually. But I think to get that wrapped up with a dispute over the renomination would be very unfortunate. What is missing from well, well, okay, the Okay, then be, be critical. What do you, what do you think is, is maybe... What what, no, nobody, what's the one thing they've done that you would not have done? Well, there's more than one thing, but let me start with the August 20, uh, 2020 gutting of the Fed's um, inflation target regime. Uh, by making it averaged over a period of years, uh, that essentially gutted the target And what is missing here in the Fed's extensive discussion of its policy framework is any discussion of the need for the Fed to discipline itself. Uh, There's a very nice passage in Steven Pinker's uh, book published last year on Odyssean self-control. And uh, you may know the story, uh, Odysseus uh, had himself lashed to the mast of his ship to avoid temptation. 
And here's a quote yep. from uh, Pinker. A technique is called Odyssean self-control, and it is more effective than the strenuous exertion of willpower, which is easily overmatched in the moment by temptation. And there's extensive documentation of this argument in the literature, the, psych the psychology literature. So I think the Fed has made a big mistake. Uh, and if it had had the original target framework in place, in June of last year, I believe, the Fed would have started to raise rates. The inflation rate had run hot yeah. for several months. There was a lot of other evidence about wage pressures beginning and so forth. And the Fed should have acted back in June. The Fed is now far behind. And all we get from the Fed so far are some hints, some hints that it might start to move a little earlier than it had previously been hinting that it would move. Uh, I believe that with the increase in inflation that we've seen, that we should expect very large increases in the federal funds rate, the target rate. Uh, okay. And I think it's Bill, when you say year, very large, Bill, let me jump in here. Let me let me sure. let me jump in here. Thank you. I want I want to sort of compartmentalize everything. So when you say very large, how much would you or how much do you think the Fed should raise rates this year? And how much do you think they will raise rates this year? I believe that the Fed itself has projected increases uh, of uh, one percentage point or less. And I see some market commentary that is talking about uh, 100 basis points, one percentage point. Uh, my view would be that the Fed needs uh, three percentage points increase to catch up with the inflation that has already occurred. The economy is running hot. We are at full employment or beyond. We have help wanted signs everywhere. And we have not yet seen wages start to catch up to prices. There's a little bit of increase in wages, but not much. And so many, many workers are now running behind and they see large increases in food and fuel prices. That's a big part of the budget of, uh, of the lower income people. Yeah. Uh, lower income workers and they're being hit very hard. And but and this is the question about inflation, because the Federal Reserve has always had the power to wield that massive hammer and tamp down inflation when it needs to. But I'm looking at food price that I'm seeing fertilizer costs up tripled. You're in the Midwest. Fertilizer costs have soared. The farmers buying more. Their input costs go up. They have to charge more. The truckers adding to that cost as they, you know, they send the vegetables from the Midwest to the East Coast. I don't know if the Federal Reserve bill has the power to change any of that. Do they have the power of inflation fighting that they used to have? Of course they do. Of course they do. The Federal Reserve has been pumping a huge amount of cash into the economy. Raising interest rates will slow things down. Uh, for example, we know that uh, most car purchases are based, uh, are financed uh, with credit. Uh, when the Fed starts pushing up rates, the financing rate for buying new cars and used cars will go up. The rate on uh, home mortgages will go up. That's going to slow those sectors without any question. And so, of course, the Federal Reserve has the power to reduce the rate of inflation. Of course it does. 
Well, consumers certainly hope so. Very quickly, Bill, I know we got to go. I got to ask you this. Uh, I don't want you to comment on Richard Claret as prior friend of yours. He's stepping down. Should Congress be allowed to trade stocks? If the Fed can't, or if the timing certainly is more scrutinized, why is Congress allowed to do it? I think that's a very good question. And I think it's a question that it's much <laughs> deeper and farther, uh, further complicated than you even suggest, because there is uh, clearly, I believe, from the evidence, insider trading that takes place by members of Congress, particularly members of various influential committees, committees that will be uh, changing legislation. And there was a, I guess it was a 60-minute program a few years ago on exactly this question. And I, I think it's disgraceful myself. Yeah, strong words there. We're not talking about, by the way, buying, you know, 4,000 shares. We're talking about some members of Congress doing hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes even in options on certain companies based in their districts. Bill Poole, uh, it's a good question. We'll get you back on to talk more about that, Bill. Good stuff. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up, the Reddit crowd shaking up the market. Some call themselves the apes. And up next, we're going to look at how they have changed the game from Main Street to Wall Street. Now, as we head to break, some of your other top headlines. Are you hoping for a tax refund this year? If you are, you may be waiting a long time. The IRS warning that staffing issues could make it a very rough tax season with refunds potentially facing long delays. Turo has filed to go public. Who is Turo? Well, they're kind of the Airbnb of rental cars. Basically, I would rent my car to you. Turo says it plans to put aside 5% of the stock being offered for some of its car owners and renters to buy them at the IPO price. And GECO Larry Culp taking a page out of Elon Musk's playbook using social media to speak directly to investors. Culp using LinkedIn to defend his plan to split GE into what he calls, quote, three stronger, more focused companies. Investors disagree. Shares of GE down 8% since that November announcement. Guess what's not down? Stock futures, NASDAQ and Dow futures, they're surging. Happy Tuesday. We'll see you on the other side of this break. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Well, today marks one year since the Reddit rebellion began sweeping through the markets. Retail investors making their presence known in a big way last year, with many leaning on a tactic more commonly used by hedge funds. All of their push to democratize the markets and, you know, make a little money along the way. What's wrong with that? Christina Parsonevlos joining us now with the evolving strategy by the group that they call themselves the apes. I want to make sure we're not calling them apes. They refer to themselves that way, Christina. Yes, yeah, some of them, not all of them, too. I'd like to point that out. But like you mentioned, what was once left to Wall Street pros has now pretty much become mainstream. So retail investors dove into options trading in 2021. Just take a look at the surge in value of options traded in AMC over the past several years. This is the graph that you're seeing on your screen right now, reported by two of the largest U.S. options market makers. So this big jump just in the past, in 2021. And, and that's because of the simplicity of smartphone apps like Rob. Robinhood, and social media hype on platforms like Reddit and Discord. The meme investing journey pretty much just began with a click of a button. I had invested through uh, TD Ameritrade and Cash App. Uh, all of the money that I had uh, saved up, all of the money in my retirement fund. 
Tony said he invested roughly $60,000 and he made a profit of $70,000 betting on companies previously left for dead, like AMC, or for others, that's GameStop. But many retail traders opted for riskier options, posting big returns or losses without having to actually purchase any shares. It's almost like a night at the casino. And experts say it's had an effect on markets. I would say even the overall level of the market right now may be partly influenced by retail investor enthusiasm um, or optimism. Um, and I think that trend is partly driven by just, just how slick and easy these new platforms are to use. The strategy has helped the exchange of over 39 million options contracts on an average day in 2021. That's up more than 30% from 2020, and that's a new record. And at least a quarter of all options contracts cleared in 2021 were actually by retail traders. So the tactic has proven so popular and so easy that even Wall Street's regulatory arm plans to review the rules and risks of trading on margin with options. Risky or not, though, retail traders point out that the popularity of options trading is part of the democratization of the market and no longer just for those Wall Street pros. So the retail traders, the apes, the Reddit crowd, whatever, are they also now trying to push out the brokers? Yeah, so they are essentially doing that. Those those that want to hodl or hold the stock for a really long period are increasingly opting opting to direct list so they can own the shares. That means that the company knows who they are. They can vote. They can have direct access. I actually spoke to the president of Global Capital Markets at ComputerShare, who said the uptick in the number of direct registrations in just a few meme stocks, he wouldn't give me the exact names and everything, uh, said exceeds the seating capacity of the largest sports stadium in the United States. And he said it's only growing. More and more people, especially retail traders are opting to directly register, which means that they want to hold, they don't want to trade, and that does eventually push out the broker. Ryan, back over to you. That is a big crowd. Christina Pete, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right, on deck. Tiffany McGee is here. She's going to lay out her playbook as nerves run high in a very volatile start to the year. Futures, they're running high. NASDAQ up more than 100 points. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. And your RBI is back after I took Monday off to sulk about the terrible L.A. Chargers loss. Anyway, let's move on and move up, shall we, and get random and interesting around what brands all of you are starting to get into. Morning Console put out a great list of fastest-growing brands by age group, but they also listed the fastest-growing brands overall. Now, overall, some of these numbers started very low or at zero. So when you go that low, it's easy to grow, but still a pretty telling list. So, Here's Morning Consult's 10 fastest growing brands for all age groups and see if you can spot a trend. We just talked about number 10, Cash App, then Afterpay. Number eight, Pluto TV, seven YouTube Shorts. Six is TikTok. These are the fastest growing brands among all age groups. Number five, Coinbase. And you got HBO Max, Moderna, because vaccines. Then Peacock and Paramount Plus. Clearly the trend there is for streaming TV growth and brand awareness. Now, here's what's fun. For each age group, there's some unique, shall we say, brands getting love and maybe a tell on what we like or what we need. For Generation Z, Wendy's was a top five brand for brand recognition growth. Chipotle, too. I guess a lot of fast food love among the young, apparently. 
For millennials, Range Rover. They made the top 10 because I guess everybody's making money right now and you got to bling out the car as you get older. For Generation Xers like me, apparently we are sore and we smell because both Icy Hot and Febreze made our brand list. And Baby Boomers, Tylenol, because of course. All right, some very cool, hopefully fun stuff on our thanks to Morning Console for the data. Maybe they'll be trending soon, random but interesting. Icy hot and Febreze. All right, now let's welcome in one of our favorite guests because there is a lot to talk about from markets gone wild to the Fed to everything in between. For more, let's bring in CNBC contributor Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisor, CEO and CIO. We're not going to talk about Febreze, although I feel like yesterday, Tiffany, the market could have probably used a little squirt. They got some in the afternoon because the market stunk for most of the day. Then it came roaring back. I mean, how are you advising your clients to manage through this volatility? Hey, Brian, it's great to be back with you. Um, so how I'm talking to clients about all of this volatility, volatility that we're seeing is that, first of all, the traditional rule book does not change, right? So the basics, kind of getting back to the basics, having a plan, diversity, asset allocation. Asset allocation can really be attributed to a great deal of the percentage of the portfolio. So it's really not... Um, rocket science and it's really not super fancy kind of just getting back to the basics is really what's important right now and just kind of staying the course and really thinking about those those strategic and tactical moves that we can make in a time like this to stay the course you got to have a course so what is the course of best option right now tiffany when it comes to equity investing So we're thinking about a couple of things going forward. Again, first of all, don't panic and sell, right? Um, because we were really just coming off of this year, this past year, where we didn't have a ton of volatility, um, and especially with so many new investors in the market. This is a little bit, um, this might be giving, giving investors a little bit of uh, whiplash, especially with all this talk about the Fed tapering and tightening and, of course, now trimming. Um, <clears throat> so what we're doing is really staying the course, but looking for these, really kind of looking for these opportunities in individual stocks, right? And so I think kind of going forward, number one, we like financials, and I've talked about the financials that I own in the show, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and I also like the smaller kind of like investment banks um, that pe- people really don't talk about as much. I think last time I was in the show, I may have spoken about uh, Hulahan Loki, um, but we also like information tech, right? So a company like Workday, we like, um, we, we really like right now, and again. You know, now is a great time to buy those names. Um, I talk about tech a lot on the show. I do like these tech names. Um, of mm-hmm. course, your staples like Apple and Amazon, um, but really looking for these glimmers of opportunities and really um, looking at companies with pricing power. I know I mentioned Lulu on um, on, on uh, Twitter, but then also looking for uh, really doing do, uh, your like do, deep due diligence on these companies and looking for information that you can't see on a balance sheet. And by that, I'm really talking about data that can be captured in environmental, social, and governance, or ESG metrics. And Lulu and Workday both meet those metrics, Tiffany, I'm assuming. They do. They do. (laughs) Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisors, Workday, Lulu. I saw you hit us up on Twitter. I may or may not have gotten Lulu for Christmas. Tiffany, thank you. Have a great day. Well, I did. It was a Lulu Christmas at our house. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Us too. Tiffany, we'll see you soon. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. It goes like that, doesn't it? We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Futures, they are higher. Take care.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.